we're continuing addressing a subject that we've been looking at the last few weeks. If you have your Bible ready, turn with me, please, to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. It is a passage that we've cited many times for multiple reasons. I'll begin in 2 Peter chapter 3 with verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, and they do also the rest of the scriptures <clears throat> to their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, lest being carried away by the error of unprincipled men, you fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the end of eternity. Amen. This passage warns us about people who become active and begin to influence Christians in wrong directions, spiritually and doctrinally. We are told that these people are untaught and that they're also unstable, untaught and unstable. If someone is doctrinally ignorant, if someone is ignorant of, of biblical doctrine, they are spiritually unstable. They are spiritually unstable. If somebody is spiritually stable, the Holy Spirit is going to show them to become biblically grounded and lead them in becoming biblically grounded. If someone is stable, the Holy Spirit is going to direct them, lead them to become scripturally grounded, and he will illuminate the scriptures to them. If somebody is unstable, that is inevitably related to the fact that they are doctrinally ignorant, that they are untaught in the word of God. Now, a conspicuous example of this would be Jehovah's Witnesses. They are largely, largely ignorant people. They only know the passages of scriptures that they are indoctrinated to be able to quote. But when you take them to other passages of scriptures that challenge their beliefs, they usually can't answer. They obviously don't have any people in their leadership, by and large, who are literate in biblical languages, Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic. They don't have that. They're basically untaught people, untaught people who are spiritually unstable. And the reason people get bamboozled by the devil into Jehovah's Witnesses, the mechanism is their ignorance. They're untaught, and they're spiritually unstable, and they get into it. Um, this is just a simple reality. And then they can even come in bondage to that terrible cult. That's only one example. The same would apply to other cults, Mormonism, Christadelphians. But the Jehovah's Witnesses are, are the most outstanding example of the untaught and unstable. Of the untaught and unstable. Now let's talk about untaught. The scriptures command, don't urge, command. Study to show yourself approved. If someone does not study the Word of God, if they're not a student of the Word of God, God does not approve of them. And if they're not well-grounded in doctrine, if they don't study God's Word seriously, they are unqualified 
they're disqualified from any kind of leadership or eldership position as a pastor, an elder, etc. They're not qualified for it if they don't study to show themselves approved. If God does not approve of such people, neither can we. We should not approve of the untaught and unstable. We should not approve of the untaught and unstable. Now, there are two things that we've warned about before, and I know you've probably heard me say this. There's two expressions of spiritual pride, but they're both spiritual pride. They're both sin. They're both wrong. They're both unscriptural. One is a superiority complex, and the other is an inferiority complex. When you see people making academic credentials a criteria for ministry, where did you study? What seminary did you go to? How many degrees do you have? When you see people lifting up academic qualifications in scholarly approach to, to biblical study, lifting it up to the exclusion of others, that is spiritual pride. Those are people with a superiority complex. It is wrong. Peter and the apostles were not formally educated. It would appear that Matthew and Judas, who betrayed the Lord, were more educated somewhat than the others. But they were not formally educated men. Jesus himself was not formally educated, but he knew these things even as a child, even in his youth at the age of 12 or 13, that educated people knew. He was not formally educated, but he was not untaught. That's true of the apostles. Be careful of people who make academic credentials a qualification for ministry that is not scriptural and who look down upon people who do not have formal academic credentials. On the other hand, the opposite is also co-equally wrong, co-equally unscriptural, co-equally even sinful. That is those who will say the usual religious rhetoric. The apostles didn't go to Bible college. You don't need a Bible college. You need Jesus. I've been preaching 48 years, and I haven't been to college or Bible. You don't need the apostles didn't have that. You don't need it. This is pure ignorance. This is spiritual pride expressed as an inferiority complex. Let us look at the scriptures. What do the scriptures tell us and show us? As we've said before, it is conspicuous, it is undeniable that the second generation of leaders who the Lord raised up after the original 12 apostles were more educated than the 12 apostles were. As the church grew, there was a need for more educated men. Paul, Barnabas, Luke, Apollos, these were formerly educated men. Jesus never demeaned education. People like to point out verses, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. The scribes, who were in Hebrew known as the Sophrim, were the theologians of the day, of the Second Temple period Judaism, were the scribes, the Sophrim. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. But they forget that Jesus said, I will send you 
scribes and prophets. In some translations, I will send you scribes and philosophers. When Paul debated the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers in Athens on Mars Hill at the, Areop at the Areopagus, he was up against the Stoic and Epicurean philosophers. He knew how to debate philosophically. He knew how to present biblical truth in the context of Greek philosophical rhetoric. God used him. When he was on trial at Gesadia, he had trials there, and the most famous being before Festus. What did the Romans say about Paul, who was a Roman citizen himself? They said, Paul, your great learning has made you mad. They knew he was a man of high education and great learning. Okay. They knew it. We're told Apollos the same. He was an eloquent man. Luke was a physician and so forth. Barnabas was a man, again, from an affluent, educated background. So we see the second generation of leaders were more educated than the first. This will normally happen. Now we look at the book of Acts chapter 4, verse 13. The Sanhedrin perceived the apostles were not educated men, but they knew that they had been with Jesus. Where did they get this wisdom? The text asks. It is impossible to be with Jesus. It is impossible to have a relationship with Jesus and not get smarter. If somebody remains ignorant of doctrine particularly, after becoming a believer, there's something wrong with them spiritually, or there's something wrong with their church. They're not being taught the word of God. Yes, we're told in 1 Corinthians, people may be very simple. Most people who get saved are quite simple, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But they do not stay that way. If you stay that way, there's something wrong with you. The word of God says there's something wrong with you. We'll look at this in a moment. I will send you philosophers and scribes. Jesus made it clear that when a scribe becomes a disciple, in other words, when somebody who's a theologian, who's an academic, who knows biblical languages and so forth, when someone like that gets saved, the way Paul did, they bring out of the treasury of God's word, out of the treasury, things old and things new. Now, Peter acknowledges this. Peter says, Paul is a Roman citizen. Paul is a rabbi from the school of Hillel, trained by Rabbi Gamaliel. Paul is a Greco-Roman intellectual. Let Paul explain these things that are hard to understand. Now, Peter had the same authority as Paul. And Paul, in terms of spiritual stature, counted himself as the least of the apostles but he had co-equal authority with Peter and the others. Peter said Paul is more equipped to explain complicated things. He didn't say, I can explain things. I'm the best one to explain these things. He said there's people more qualified to explain these things than I am. 
there are things in scripture that somebody who knows Greek and Hebrew will be better able to explain than somebody who doesn't. That doesn't mean the one who doesn't has no gifting or calling or can't preach, but it does mean that there are certain things that you need to know biblical languages to do. We are reading this scripture in the English language. Thank God that Mr. Coverdale was an educated man. Thank God that William Tyndale was an educated man. Thank God that John Wycliffe was an educated man. Thank God that we had educated men in those dark times who knew Greek and Hebrew. And in the case of, of Wycliffe, Latin, and who could put God's word in the English language. Thank God we had people like that. Thank God we had educated people. Jesus said, I will send you scribes. I will send you people with theological educations. And he did. As soon as you hear somebody saying, you don't need Bible college, you don't need seminary. Well, there's a lot of problems with Bible colleges and seminaries today. But that doesn't demean the value of theological education. You don't need that. The apostles didn't have that. Well, Paul was not an apostle. The New Testament says Paul and Barnabas were both apostles. Luke was not an educated man. Apollos was not an educated man. You're listening to the words of an ignorant religious babbler. As soon as you hear somebody giving you that line of nonsense, the apostles didn't have a Bible college education or, or go to seminary, you don't need, you're listening to an ignorant religious babbler who's not worth paying any attention to. He's got a problem. His problem is pride. He's as bad on one extreme as those who have formal educations looking down on those who don't. If you go to Yale Divinity School or Princeton <clears throat> Faculty of Theology or any of these institutions, you will find professors who are experts in biblical languages who are not even born again, who are not even saved. It is not of any value to have a formal theological education you're not saved. But if somebody has that education the way Paul did and they get saved, the Gospels say they will bring out of the treasury things old and things new. Avoid both of these kinds of people. Avoid those with an inferiority complex and a superiority complex. Just look at the late Tim Keller. He was formally educated, but he compromised on major moral issues like homosexuality. The education itself isn't going to give you anything. It's only Christ who's going to give it. But yes, Christ can use education. And he says so. He said so personally. And the apostles confirm it. Peter lends credence to Paul to address complicated issues. Going back to the deism of the 18th century, and it's prominent today among certain liberal higher critics and among certain academic rabbis who accept the Jewishness of the Gospels and of Jesus, but reject him as the Messiah. People like Haim Maccabi and, and people like this. They say that Paul began Christianity, not Jesus. Jesus was a Jewish figure, and Peter was a Jewish figure, and their Christianity was not the Christianity we have today, which was invented by Paul. That is what they say. Well, here, of course, we see Peter and Paul are in harmony. 
Peter is commending the ministry of Paul. And from historical record we have from Eusebius and so forth, they were martyred together while co-ministering together under the Emperor Nero in Rome, circa 66 AD, thereabout. Some say it could be a little later. Well, let's understand this. You got a Peter and you got a Paul. Co-equal authority, both apostles. Yet Peter says, let Paul explain complicated things. He has the background. It was recognized even by the pagans, by the Roman authorities in Caesarea. It was recognized by the Areopagites in Athens. It was recognized by the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin never would have listened to Peter, but they had to listen to Paul. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was trained by Rabbi Gamaliel from the school of Hillel. That is just the way it is. If the Lord leads somebody to get a theological education, they should, and if he doesn't, they shouldn't. It's that simple. It's not about glorifying a man or honoring a man. It's about honoring the Lord and his calling and his grace. Paul was to explain the complicated things according to Peter. Now, what do we see? The untaught and unstable distort. We see this most conspicuously in cult groups, all of the cult groups. The Christadelphians are one example. The Mormons are another. Actually, Roman Catholicism is another. But the most obvious theological frauds, the most obvious theological charlatanism we're likely to encounter are the Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, you'll find something out about the Jehovah's Witnesses. They are uneducated people. Very few of them are formally educated. Very few of their leaders are formally educated. They take that ignorant position that the apostles didn't go to Bible college, so we shouldn't either. This is nuts. Apollos, Luke, Paul, Barnabas were all formally educated. The second generation are more formally educated than the first. One of the problems that the Calvary Chapel movement had is that you had people in the first generation of Calvary Chapel, such as Paul Smith, Chuck Smith's brother, who were theologically quite literate, and, and, and they, they were intellectuals. Even though they didn't flaunt their intellect, they, if you knew them personally, they were definitely people who operated on an intellectual plane. Successive generations of Calvary leaders were not as knowledgeable as the first generation. Not as knowledgeable as the first generation. Some of the unfortunate things happening in Calvary chapels today would not be happening if Chuck Smith was still with us. But that's just one example. The untaught and unstable will destroy. When you see people who are untaught, it is inevitable they will be spiritually unstable. People who are doctrinally ignorant of God's word are going to be spiritually unstable. If somebody is spiritually stable, the Holy Spirit is going to point them to the Word. The Holy Spirit is going to illuminate the Scripture to them, 
and going to confirm the importance of understanding it doctrinally. They will become doctrinally well-grounded. A spiritually stable Christian will be doctrinally well-grounded. Now, having the knowledge itself does not mean you're spiritually stable. Having a lot of theological or doctrinal knowledge does not in itself prove someone's spiritual stability. However, the absence, the absence of that knowledge automatically proves instability. Instability. If someone is not doctrinally knowledgeable, not grounded in, in the doctrinal principles of Scripture, and capable of presenting an apologetic for what they believe or claim to believe, they're unstable. They're certainly unqualified for leadership. They are disqualified for leadership. The Scriptures command. Do not encourage or exhort or admonish. The Scriptures command. Study to show yourself approved. If somebody does not study God's word, God does not approve of them. He doesn't approve of them. And if there is a leader, a pastor, an elder, who does not study God's word, God does not approve of them. We dare not approve of people who God does not. We dare not approve of people who God does not. It is obvious that people like uh, Kenneth Copeland and his late mentor, Kenneth Hagin, or people like Benny Hinn, or people like Paula White, these are doctrinally ignorant people. They're doctrinally ignorant. Therefore, they are unstable spiritually. They may seem to have it together in terms of their fundraising and all this kind of thing, but in terms of what they're teaching spiritually, those who follow them are unstable. If somebody was knowledgeable of God's word, they would know that these people are false teachers and false prophets. You cannot approve of someone God does not. If you lend credence to people who God says, are not approved by him. We're in rebellion against the Lord. We are in rebellion against the Lord. Study to show yourself approved. The scripture commands study and does not demean theological education. Never. The untaught and unstable. Now, even cults know something of this. The Roman Catholic Church established things like Georgetown University and Notre Dame University. The Mormons have Brigham Young University. Talmudic Judaism has Yeshiva University. The Seventh-day Adventists have a university in, in, in Loma Linda, California. They all emphasize higher education in order to defend their error. <laughs> The Jehovah's Witnesses don't have higher education to defend their error. They're just ignorant people who don't even have an army to fight with except a paper army. They, they can't say anything. When you show them something in Scripture, they can't argue. Now, again, Mormonism and these other things are just as ridiculous. Even more so in certain cases, they're even more ridiculous. But at least they understand the importance of having 
and intellectual credibility. And the New Testament says we should have that kind of credibility. I will send you philosophers and scribes. This does not make Peter less, and it does not make Paul more. It just means that we need both in the body of Christ. We need the Peters and the Paul. Remember, if people are not taught, they're going to be unstable. The scriptures will be distorted by people who are devious. Devious people will distort the word of God the way Satan did when he tempted Jesus. These are called unprincipled men in verse 17. Unprincipled men. They distort the scriptures in order to mislead others. And they have to be refuted according to what Peter writes. Well, the last couple of weeks we've been addressing here on Word for the Weekend this problem. We had two figures. One was called Gutsick Gibbons. And she is a Darwinist who comes from a creationist background and left creationism and gone into Darwinism. And she presents arguments for Darwinism against creationism. And if you read on her blog site, on her website, the people who write in, many of them are people who come from Christian backgrounds who are being misled by what she is saying. Christians are being misled by what she is saying. This happens so often. Not only in colleges and universities do you see young people who grew up Christian being exposed to the ideas and philosophies of the world, as Colossians calls them, losing their faith when they go away to university. I've known cases in seminaries where people were exposed to liberal higher critical views and lost their faith. People who went to seminary to study for the ministry lost their faith when they were exposed to higher criticism. The unprincipled. Unprincipled can be untaught people. They can be people like Charles Tazzy Russell or, or Joseph Smith or Brigham Young. Or they can be people of high learning like Professor James Barr of Oxford University who wrote the book Escaping Fundamentalism. A ridiculous book, but he knows how to put it across with academic credibility. Another is Nigel Wright. Very dangerous in what he writes. Very false. But because he packages it academically, it seems to have credibility. Now, who's going to come against a Nigel Wright or a James Barr? Somebody with no formal education? Well, you can say, better just ignore them. The God will deal with them. They are misleading Christians. When people misled Christians, the apostles spoke up about them and warned about them by name, particularly Paul. He warned about Alexander the coppersmith. He warned about Hymenaeus. The apostles warned about Diotrephes and about Philetus. They warned by name about those who were misleading the church. There have always been unprincipled men. Gutsick Gibbon is one. Now, she's a bioanthropologist. 
In order to refute her, you must engage in bioanthropology. Look at Paul at Athens. But then, last week, we had another woman from the United States. Her name is Miss Burke. And Miss Burke, she claims to have been in her youth a Baptist evangelist. And she encountered biblical verses that she took out of context that demolished her faith. And likewise, when you go on her website, you see how many Christian young people are thanking her for what she's saying. Even though she's distorting the word of God out of all context, these people, she does exactly what the devil tried with Jesus in Matthew 4 and in Luke 4 in the temptation narrative, taking the word out of context and in isolation from context. And they're sucking in many Christians. And they need to be refuted, so we did. Now, most of the people who watched these refutations that I was led of the Lord to do appreciated them. They were thankful. Some of them actually had been challenged by these issues themselves or knew people who were. And they needed answers to those questions, what these unprincipled people are saying who are distorting the scriptures. It's a practical need. But there was a few people, two or three, in, in ignorance, saying this was too intellectual. This was, too this was uninspiring. You've lost your way. Because they thought it was above their head. And one said, how would a young believer understand this? Well, it was not for a young believer. It was for Christians going to college and university, being confronted with faculties controlled by professors and with peer pressure of other students who believed in Darwinism and Darwinistic presuppositions and need to be equipped how to refute that stuff. It's other people answering, having answered questions that they needed to have answered. How does the Bible say that you have to marry the man who raped you? It doesn't say that, but that's what that principled woman said it says by taking the text out of context. But they put the argument across so well, it seems convincing. Again, they do what Satan did in, Ma in, in Matthew 4, Luke 4, in the temptation narrative. It seems reasonable. The things that Tim Keller said seem reasonable. Even the word faith money preachers, they know how to talk and make things seem reasonable. But they're not scriptural. They just know how to make it seem like it, it's scriptural. These things have to be refuted. The apostles refuted these people. And they commanded other leaders to refute these people. Paul told Timothy, silence these people who are teaching these errors. Well, you don't silence them by telling them to shut up. And you're not going to make people ignore them by telling people to ignore them. If you tell people to ignore them, people are going to become more curious. You have to refute them.
as the scriptures show, as the apostles did. In her ignorance, one woman said, how was the young believer supposed to understand this? Well, let's look at what the Word of God tells us. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Again, most of our regular people are familiar with these principles, but because of the circumstances we're being confronted with, we need to look at it again. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. You were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now, you're not able. You're still fleshly since there is jealousy and strife among you, etc., etc. Notice when people only want a milk diet and only see a need for a milk diet, they are carnal in their Christianity. They are carnal. They may think it's spiritual. Now, don't get me wrong. There's the pure milk of the word. Milk is for babies. You have to calcify the bone tissue before you can put muscle tissue on it. You need the hard tissue built up before you can add the soft tissue. Nothing wrong with milk for babies. But if you don't wean a baby onto solid food, something is going to happen. We've warned about this many times. Turn with me, please to the Epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 5, verse 12, For by this time you ought to be teachers. You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. In other words, basic doctrine. You've come to need milk, not solid food. Now, notice both Paul and the author of Hebrews are complaining under the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They are complaining that people who should be eating meat are only drinking milk. Somebody saved a year, two years, they need milk. Somebody saved five years or more, they need meat. Look what he says. Verse 13. For everyone who partakes only of milk, that doesn't demean milk, only of milk, that only is not actually in the Greek, it's an interpolation, is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is a baby. If all you have is basic doctrine, you're a baby. Now, basic doctrine is right for babies. People who are newly born again, don't try to get them into the book of Zechariah or the book of Revelation. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. If people have only ever had milk, their senses are not trained to discern good and evil. Just think of a baby. A baby who's only ever had milk when his mother begins to wean it the mother, when that baby begins as a toddler crawling around, the mother must take everything that can fit in that baby's mouth and put it where the baby can't reach it. They will eat a button. They will eat a crayon. They will eat anything. It's all a biscuit to them. Their senses are not trained to discern good and evil. They've only had milk. Well, when you have a Christian who's only had milk, they're going to believe false doctrine. They're going to eat poison. 
you must encourage young believers to begin learning doctrine beyond the basics. You must get them from the milk to the meat. Otherwise, their immune system will not develop. They're going to eat poison and get sick. And we have this very ignorant and carnal woman saying, this is uninspiring. This is something that would mean nothing to young believers. She's, she's too ignorant of the word of God to realize the ramifications of what she's saying. Don't address these issues of Darwinism and, 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 and taking texts out of context. Therefore, people will believe it. And you see on the, the websites of those unprincipled figures, Miss Burke and Miss Gutsick, young Christians are being persuaded by them. And this woman says, who cares? Let the babies die. That's what she said. That is what she's basically saying. Let the babies croak. Now, I don't think she's saying that with any malice or malintent. I think she's just ignorant of the word of God. I think she's just carnal. She thinks herself to be spiritual, but she's carnal and she's ignorant. There's milk and there's meat. There is a need to refute those issues. Because something doesn't meet your need. Because a teaching does not meet your need, does not mean it is not meeting the needs of others. You are not a university student being confronted with Darwinism. You are not a vulnerable young woman being dissuaded by someone saying that you have to marry the man who rapes you, according to the scripture, just distorting the text. That may not be your situation, but it's affecting other people. And they're saying it online. They're being drawn into this departure from the faith. Because it doesn't meet your need does not mean it is not meeting the need of others. That is quite selfish. It does meet the need of others. Now, if somebody's a young believer and all they need is milk, Fine, give them milk, don't give them meat. But after they've been saved a couple of years, you've got to wean them onto solid food that their senses will be trained to discern good and evil. I was looking at those young women, particularly most of them women, not all of them, who were being taken in by this Miss Burke. And it was obvious they were never taught how to read a text in context. She was just taking verses out of context, the way Satan did from Deuteronomy when he tempted Jesus. If these people were taught to look at a text in context, they would know she's distorting the context. But they weren't taught that. They were only given milk. Not meat. So they get poisoned. They get poisoned. 
If I was doing something for young believers, I wouldn't give them meat. But if I'm doing something for people who've been saved five years, ten years, they should be eating meat, according to Hebrews and Corinthians. We're told in Matthew 25, the good and faithful or good and sensible servant will give the proper food at the proper time. Babies eat baby food. That's the proper food for them. But it's not the proper food for older believers who need to train their senses to discern good from evil. But it was so disturbing to see people who grew up Christian, in Christian families, grew up in evangelical churches being taken in by this Darwinist and being taken in by this agnostic. These things need to be addressed. So I address them. Something may not meet your need. Something may not meet my need. But that is not to say it does not meet the need of others. There are Bible studies on Islamic apologetics given by people who are experts in Islam who are saved Christians. That may have nothing to do with you. But for people who live in places where there are Muslims who they have to evangelize, or are supposed to, it's very important. It may not have anything to do with you. There may not be any Muslims where you live in the middle of Vermont or something like that, or, or the middle of Nebraska. But if you live in Detroit, or London, Christians need to know. No, it does not meet the need of somebody else elsewhere. But that doesn't mean there's something wrong with it. This is foolish, foolish thinking, foolish, ignorant thinking. Very foolish and very ignorant and very carnal. There are not many Orthodox Jews outside of major population centers like Miami, New York, New Jersey, <clears throat> um, LA, and so forth, Chicago. Jews tend to be in the cities and in the suburbs of, of, of major cities. If you're out in the middle of the Midwest of the Great Plains or the Deep South, you may not have ever even met a Jewish person. You may not have ever met an Orthodox Jew. But if you're in New York, or if you're in London, or if you're in Israel, obviously, you're going to meet lots of them. Messianic apologetics, technical things about proving the messiahship of Jesus from the Old Testament. That may not have any meaning to you if you were in Oklahoma. But it certainly has meaning to, to Christians in Brooklyn or Queens. That's just the way it is. The proper food at the proper time. Milk is for babies. Meat is for those who grow. Does the milk 
and the meat. We need both. There's the Peters and there's the Pauls. We need both. Christians' university campuses were being misled by this gut sick givens. People who grew up Christian or from Christian families were being sucked into Darwinism. To say if you're showing them how to refute this, that it's uninspiring and you've lost your way. No, you've never knew your way to begin with. You're an ignorant person. There's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with your relationship with God. Yeah. No, look, I'm not angry at anyone but the devil. But those Christians being taken in by Darwinism and being taken in by the antics of Miss Burke need help. They need help. Don't tell me that by helping those people that I've missed the mark or that it's uninspiring. It's not what the scripture says. I've had a number of people troubled by those same questions that Ms. Burke was raising who thanked me for answering them. And other people who've been confronted with Darwinism, particularly in university campuses, who are happy, for, delighted by the apparatus that we provided them to refute Darwinism and to refute what was being peddled by Gutsy Gibbons. Most people see it that way, a few do not. It's not a question of majority rules. It's a question of scripture rules. Remember, it is the untaught and the unstable who are the problem. If you are untaught, you are unstable. Things that are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort. I'm afraid that if you think it is unspiritual or mark-missing to equip those Christians confronted with these things with what they need to deal with it, you are among the untaught and the unstable. Now, if I've offended you, I'm sorry if I've offended you. But if you're offended by what the Word of God says, that's not my problem. That's your problem. The Word of God says you are untaught and unstable, not Jacob Prosh. If you want to leave, go elsewhere. Go, don't watch us anymore. That's up to you. But I'm going to do what the Lord tells me to do. I'm going to give the proper food at the proper time.
Thank you so much for listening. God bless.